All right, so please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. This is uh, part 2 of chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, verses 18 through 30. And the title of this morning's message, as I pull it up, we'll get there. All right, is uh, live as citizens of heaven, and uh, and of course, as we go through our study, that'll be that'll become self-explanatory. Um, it'll make sense, and uh, as the apostle Paul said, and that we ought to, so we should, because it's not what Paul said, but what God has said, and it's uh, by His word that we live and uh, we glorify Him, and so therefore we give ourselves to it and are taught from it. And so let's pray as we get into our study this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. For it does give us understanding of truth. And I ask as you give us understanding that we, uh, Lord, that we live these lives truly as citizens of heaven. Lord, we are pilgrims. Uh, Lord, not, not as vagabonds or wanderers. Uh, foreigners that are looking for uh, another country or living as foreigners in another country, but rather pilgrims, Lord, knowing exactly where our home is. And we are truly homebound in Christ. And so therefore, help us to live our lives with that reflected in what we do and what we say and how we respond to situations that we're faced with that you may be glorified And we may encourage others to do the very same thing. And so speak to us this morning, I ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, the second portion of it. So 18b says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so are the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. There are four things that, a, that only a pilgrim knows. Number one, they know this place will never be home. Number two, they know how to travel light. Number three, they know what it means to let go. And number four, they know their true destination. Oh, we are pilgrims. We are just traveling through. Oh, we have a a higher ground, a prize that is found in Christ. We will meet our goal as we come to him for all eternity and see him in all of his glory. Howard Hendricks says, quote, most people think 
that they're in the land of the living, heading toward the land of the dead. But the truth is, we're in the land of the dying, heading toward the land of the living. End quote. Now, the Apostle Paul knew as Paul, uh, the Apostle Peter knew as Paul did that as Christians, we are passing through on our way home. We are, like I said, homebound. And we should always keep that in mind, in our heart. Especially when we're confronted with different situations, difficult ones, ones that are really overwhelming sometimes, that press us in on all sides. We should be reminded of that. We are homebound. This is not our home. And we are here, though. While we're here on earth, we are here to serve the purpose of glorifying the Lord in in every way. In every way. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That even then, they would have nothing ill to say of you. But we are to be reminded constantly, constantly to hold on loosely to this life not so tight not to cling to it but we are sojourners we're just passing through pilgrims on our way home as christians we are indeed citizens of heaven and are not traveling and are traveling through to our home and we are traveling we are traveling though we are moving we're not stationary But we're not traveling to the land of the dead. For God is not the God of the dead. God is the God of the living. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain in verse 21. And his perspective is right as a Christian. And he was torn between two worlds. He knew that dying was great gain because he would be in the presence of God for all eternity. You know, for the Christian, it's a win-win. You know, the moment we come to the Lord and we begin, begin to realize that, you know, these very words of the Apostle Paul, to live as Christ, to die as gain, for the person who understands the Word of God and lives by it, we are blessed and we're better for it. We do, as was prayed for earlier today, understand how to live an abundant life in Christ. For the Christian also, death is but a doorway to eternity. That's all it is. It's to come into the presence of our Creator, of our God, and of our Savior for all eternity. And so we know for the Apostle Paul, as it is for us, for a Christian, we are torn between two worlds. He knew that dying was great gain because he would be in the presence of God for all eternity. But he also understood that there was something precious about living. You see, the one who is most heavenly-minded will be of great benefit here on earth. Uh, We will live life, oh, to its fullest. You know, I've heard it said, you can be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. Uh, That's a lie. (laughs) If that's true of you, then you don't have the right heavenly perspective. You don't understand that life is precious and it's a gift and every day and every breath and every beat of your heart is a gift given to you. We ought to live life to its fullest. I mean, don't, don't quit living 
Just because you have the hope of heaven, in fact, you should live all the more. There's something precious. The Apostle Paul knew there's something precious about living. And it's a gift. Today is a gift. For you and I, it's a gift today. And he knew it wasn't for his own benefit, though, but rather for the benefit of others. And as Christians, I believe this is a lesson worth learning and living. Learning how to behave as true citizens of heaven while we're on earth. My hope for you this morning is that you'll be encouraged to behave truly as citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, so he writes to us today, the Lord gives us these words, they are his very breath. That we would behave as Christians worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Our destination and home is set. And the question for us is, how then shall we live? How then shall we live? And that's why it's good for us to gather together, to be encouraged, to be reminded that yes, yes, we are homebound. No, this isn't everything here and we have the hope of heaven. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But, but this life, how then shall, how should we live it? It's important for us to understand and know it to God's glory, but it's also to the benefit of others around us, and it's, it's a blessing to us. So let's start out. There's two things. Number one, live with a heavenly attitude. And secondly, live with courage. Those are the, the two main points that we're going to drive home this morning. Live with a heavenly attitude. And number two, live with Courage. Let's start out with living with a heavenly attitude, which was covered in the verses that we read in verses 18 through 26. Attitude can be defined as sometimes someone that has an attitude is maybe a bit angry. Maybe um, my granddaughter has some attitude. Um, we, we call it um, Audreytude. She has some spunk, right? Sometimes attitude can be someone, you know, we, we can refer to someone who has an attitude just filled with spirit, you know? Again, that goes back to spunk. But this is actually the product of the original perspective, viewpoint, or position, position that one holds to. Whatever comes out, it's because of the perspective that we originally have. And that's only a product of it. Attitude is our orientation. Really, where our thoughts are pointed to. In aviation, attitude is a plane's position in relation to the horizon. And so, is the nose up? Is the nose down? Are we, you know, pitching to port or starboard, starboard you know, left or right? Uh, what is our attitude? Where are we pointed? In Christianity, you can say that attitude is our heart's position in relation to the gospel. That's our horizon. The word, God's standard, and the hope we have of heaven. That, that's why I tell you, on earth, we will be of great good, and we will be productive and effective. Uh, the better set we are on heaven, the better understanding we have of what God requires us, uh, of us while we're here on earth. How it is that we are to live our lives with godly wisdom, with His discernment, with an agape love, with compassion, with patience toward others, with hope. Encouraging one another to keep your eyes open and fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. And by the way, 
how well we know those things and how much we believe those things will determine how we respond to events in life and our overall purpose, walking it out in life. You know, someone who has a good grasp on uh, God's wisdom, God's truth, will handle things in, much, in a much different way than others who do not have a good grasp on it. it it's, it's two different ways of, of, of handling things, of responding to situations in our lives. So number one, live with hope. Verse 19, let's take a look at it once more. It says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Keep in mind that Paul was writing this from his home. He was on a retreat. He was up in the mountains, having a good time on the beach. Yeah, he was in prison. He was jailed. And yet, we see this hope. Undertones of joy all throughout this letter. I love that. Paul didn't see, by the way, his imprisonment as, um, as punishment by the Lord. He saw it as God's will. I love what Ray said earlier in regards to our perspective, you know, and what we're going through. Perhaps God has something better, and he does. For all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Do you believe that, though? I know we all go through different circumstances. I, I know that. I do, too. We do, too. But it has everything to do with our perspective. Do we believe that we are more than conquerors in Christ? That all things, uh, you know, that, that uh, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Do we believe those things? Do we understand that, that this, this is just a, a portion? Life is but a vapor. What we do here matters in eternity. And we'll be judged for it. Either for loss or for gain as Christians. But that how we live our lives either glorifies or does not glorify the Lord. You see, the Apostle Paul, even in prison, was living with hope. And he believed in the prayers of the saints and the help of the Holy Spirit. That's what he was relying on. That's why for us as a church, we should be a church, first and foremost, a church on our knees. We should be a church that is known for prayer. We should be known for a church that is given to the word, but we should also be known for a church that is given to prayer, that is constantly seeking the face of God, his will, what he desires for us above all. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In other words, it's effective, it's productive, it, uh, it brings about things that would not come about if we do not give ourselves to prayer. That's what's, uh, what's amazing to me is that God desires to hear from us. And some things he's just waiting for us to ask. We don't, we don't receive because we don't ask. We don't petition him. We don't intercede on behalf of others. And so Paul knew prayer was important. And he was relying on the prayers of the saints and, of course, the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul was in prison, and yet he did not despair. As he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. 
perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Perhaps you needed to hear those words this morning. And also, like Paul, no matter where you're at, know that there's hope. As a Christian, there is always hope. Never exchange hope for despair. Never, ever do that. Secondly, live to honor Christ. Verse 20 says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So, we're going to live. Live to honor Christ. Paul had an expectation of himself. Do you have an expectation of yourself? We should. We should have an expectation of ourselves according to the standard that is set for us in Christ. Paul had an expectation of himself that he would never be ashamed of Jesus Christ and that he would always honor Christ whether he was living or dying. And dying in the process of dying, in the process of living. We were in the process of one or the other. And for us, we're in the process of both. <laughs> for whether you knew it or not, we are going in that direction. But for us, remember, to die is gain, Right? Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We know there was a moment when Peter denied Jesus three times. But he was restored by Jesus and he went on to live and die for the sake of honoring and glorifying Jesus Christ. And, and that's what I love about about, about reading through and, and reading about the stories of especially the disciples, the apostles. You know, you read through and most of them, they failed in some way, shape, or form. But God loves to restore. He loves to reconcile. He loves to be the lifter of our heads, to bring us back up and to set us on course to bring glory to him and others um, to that very place where they come to know him personally. Peter was one such man. He was restored by Jesus and he went on to live and die for the sake of honoring and glorifying Jesus Christ. If we are to live as citizens of heaven, we must also die as citizens of heaven. Which means death is a home going. It is not going from the land of the living to the land of the dead, but rather leaving the land of the dying and entering into the land of the living. And more than that, we are entering into eternal glory. That's what we're entering into. May, may we all find strength in that moment. In that moment we, when we are found, perhaps on our deathbed, and we have eternity before us. Please, if you will, keep before you the glory of God. Oh, I've seen many people in that very place. I've seen some that are so afraid of dying, of, of breathing their last. And then I've, I've met other people 
that are entering that place with great joy. It's, it's a big difference. I've gone into rooms to where the family is, is telling, telling me, oh, don't sorrow. Please, please don't. My mom, my dad, oh, they're, they're going home. We're okay. She knows the Lord. He knows the Lord. We're going to miss them, but we know that we will see them one day again. They're going into the presence of the Lord. May we die glorifying the Lord as well. May we proclaim, testify to the world that we truly know him and are going home. So, the purpose. The purpose of what the Apostle Paul is writing here, you know, to live as Christ, is that very thing that we are to do when we come to know Eternal life in Him, forgiveness of sins, His grace. To live as Christ, in other words, we are to allow Christ to live in and through us and bringing glory to Him with courage and confidence and humility as well. Death, the moment we really start living. Paul said to die is gain. It's not loss. We are not afraid to speak of death and dying. Sometimes, you know, within families and uh, I think in society in general, we don't like to, we don't like to talk about death. We should be open to talking about death. In fact, as parents, we should actually be preparing our children. You know, this is the way I want you to handle things when we're gone. You know, it's, it's not if we're gone, it's when we're gone. We're out. You guys have it all. <laughs> you guys can take all care, take care of all the junk in the back. <laughs> yeah, we should be preparing. There's a, there's an earthly preparation, but there's a heavenly preparation. Are you prepared for eternity? Do you know that if you were to take your last breath here on earth today, you would take your first. In heaven? Do you know that? You can be assured of that this morning by simply giving your life to the Lord, asking Him for forgiveness, asking Him to be Lord and Savior. Because if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Only through Him. Belief in Him. So death isn't something that's dreaded. It's actually the doorway into eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-9 through 9 says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. What was Paul's desire? Talk about talking about death, right? The Apostle Paul spoke of it often. His desire was to depart because he knew that was far better for him. But as we live, we are to, thirdly, live for the benefit of others. And that's covered in verses 24 through 26, which says, But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. 
for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Yeah, it was far better for the Apostle Paul to go home. But he knew it was more necessary on their account, for their own benefit, those of uh, the church in, in Philippi, that he would remain in the flesh. Why? Because Paul was confident that he was to remain and continue with them for two reasons. And he stated them here quite clearly and openly. It doesn't take much of interpretation just for me to point the finger to it. That, that's all it takes. Number one, to know progress. And number two, to know joy in the faith. Those two things. He says, I know it's to your benefit for these two reasons right here. For your progress and for your joy in the faith. That's it. And it is for that that he said, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Not in him but to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That's what, that's above all, that's what he wanted them to know. Therefore, that's above all what the Lord wants you to know. And he wants to use us to do that very thing. How many people around you are better off because you have come and are around are encouraged to know progress and to know joy in the faith in Jesus Christ? Are they encouraged by you in their progress in Christ? And do they know a deeper joy in their faith because of you? And those are the questions that we ought to ask ourselves. Remember the expectations that we should have for ourselves? These are those expectations. The only way they will know progress and joy in their faith is if you do what Paul does. Remain and continue. Oh, this is deep, huh? It's like, like I told you, all I have to, right now, all I'm doing is, is pointing to the Word of God. This is, this is simple stuff, right? He stayed for what reason? Well, that they may know progress and joy in their faith. The only way that Paul could do that and could encourage them to do that amongst each other is to remain and continue. In other words, don't leave and make sure you engage in the fellowship of the church. What does that look like? Again, very simple. Bible study, worship, prayer, and serve. Bible study, worship, prayer, and serve. That's it. And we corporately worship the Lord together in that way. As we remain and continue, we're shoulder to shoulder. We lock arms and truly move forward. We advance. For a Christian, there should be no greater joy than to know that others are glorying in Christ Jesus because of your encouragement. Oh, what contentment that is. Oh, brother, you're encouraged by me? I'm encouraged by that. And and so it continues to build us up. That's beautiful. That is exactly what we ought to be here at church, at Refuge encouragers of one another. In fact, John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Third John 1, 4. You know, oftentimes, you know, and I write it in my boys' Bibles that I give them, you know, I'll write Third John 1, 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I have no greater joy. For us, it should be that very same heart toward one another. I have no greater joy than to hear that my brothers, my sisters are walking in the truth. 
And let me encourage that very thing. To know that you are progressing in finding joy in your faith. So number one, live with a heavenly attitude. Number two, live with courage. Verse 27, as we continue, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Live with courage. If anyone could say this with confidence, it would be the Apostle Paul. The person who undergoes persecution and engages in conflict because of his faith and suffers and continues steadfast in their faith is the one who can encourage others to exercise courage and do the same. It's much more effective. If you know that someone has been entangled in battle has been engaged and has remained steadfast in the Lord. Their words and their encouragement holds much more weight than someone who just knows it off the pages of Scripture but has not lived it, right? Has little experience, uh, little application of the Word of God. But, But for the one like the Apostle Paul that has endured these things, stood the test of these trials, right? And then comes alongside you and says, Brother, brother, stand up. Stand up in Christ. Keep going. Don't quit. Remember, we're we're more than conquerors in Christ. We can do all things in Him. He has a, a plan. He has a purpose for us. Don't quit. You look at that person and you think, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. Why? Because I've, I've seen it in your life. I've seen that you haven't quit. How can you tell others not to quit when you've quit? You yourself need to get a little history behind you. And then when you say those words, oh, you can say it with confidence, humble confidence, knowing that you haven't done it in your own strength. You've done it in the strength of the Lord. You've done it because the Holy Spirit is, has led you and guided you. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Right? So when we say those things, like the Apostle Paul, he said it to the Philippians, and he was, he was where? He was in jail. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We demonstrate that we love him by remaining steadfast under trial, by being obedient to him, standing the test. We receive the crown of life. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So, so stand, stand firm, stand with the Lord. Too often people will allow little things to pull them out of fellowship. Little things, you know, big things too, but things, things are still things, right? No matter what we're faced with, whether it be a, a plumbing problem, <laughs> I've had plenty. 
family problems, health, relational problems, marital problems. Think about it. What, what will keep you? What will you allow to cause you to withdraw? I hope you, will, you would say nothing, nothing at all. No matter what, no, not even my own fall, not even my own dumb actions. You know, and what I'm saying with that is, don't allow the enemy to whisper in your ear, I'm sorry, you've obviously done too much to go into church. Who are you? I mean, really, you're a hypocrite. To go into church and to lift your hands to the Lord and to sing his praises, and to, and to uh, be among God's people? I, I doubt it if you're even one of his people. Oh, that's a whisper from the enemy. You need to run. Instead, you need to run here. You need to come humbly before the Lord. Ask him for forgiveness. Repent of your sin and just be welcomed back into his arms. It's like the, the prodigal son that came back to the father. The father, when he saw him from a distance, saw his son and he ran to him. That's the picture. See, what we miss is we always see the prodigal son. Okay, there's tons of prodigal sons out there. What we need to see is the love of the father. Because that's what we run back into. I was one of those prodigal sons that ran back into the arms of my father and he took me in. I, I think of that. And, and it just breaks my heart to know that I had, at one point, turned my back on him. But it's the love of the Father that, that drew me back to him. I hope that nothing causes you to withdraw from the Lord. Sometimes it starts out with full engagement as far as our fellowship is concerned. And then a withdrawing of the heart because of conflict uh, perhaps we didn't pursue to find a resolution to leaving ourselves open to the influence of the enemy and a complete removal from fellowship at our local fellowship that we were once a part of. It's, it's progressive, and it? I've seen it over and over. It's not something that's new. But we ought to be aware of those things. We ought to instead, you know, draw closer Come in a little tighter. Serve a little more. Pray and seek him together. That's where we find strength. And Paul is telling the church to live their lives with courage. What does that look like? Well, number one, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. In other words, live your lives in line with what you profess to believe. That's courageous. Number two, stand together with other Christians in your church. You don't encourage others to stay together when you yourself are all over the place or, you know, you're MIA, you're missing in action. You, you can't. It's just, it's logical, right? You can't encourage and you can't be encouraged if you're not there. Stand firm. Stay put so that you can be of one spirit, of one mind, and striving side by side. A military unit would never become a team that works well together if the members of that unit continuously moved from one unit to another. You'd never learn how to grow and work together with great effectiveness. The same 
is for a band of brothers. We are to truly become one when we learn how to have each other's backs because we know how. And we do because there is loyalty and trust and we share a common faith. We are truly of one heart, of one mind. We are moving in step together in the same direction. This is not, by the way, just to to hang out, but for the purpose of the gospel, to grow in our faith and for the furtherance of the gospel, that others may come to know Jesus and the church may continue to mature in the Lord. Remember what the goal and what the purpose of the Apostle Paul was to remain in the flesh for the progress of the saints and that they would know joy in their faith. Let me also point something else out. Paul was holding them accountable to what they should be doing. God holds us accountable today to what we should be doing as a church. We we get offended way too easy. We do. We say we don't, but then we go and complain, murmur, grumble. And so therefore, it's revealed. (laughs) We've been offended. We shouldn't be offended. You know what? When the word of God is presented to us, we should instead receive it. Humbly. But we should receive it. I know it's not always easy. You know, as I heard earlier, you know, no pain, no gain. Is that? <laughs> That's true in a sense. I, I, I remember um, someone bringing up, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his brother, right? Of another and I remember hearing about how iron, when it's being sharpened, uh, it comes together, right? What happens when iron comes together? Sparks fly, right? But we ought to be tempered in that work. We ought to remain. Because if we stop at some point, that work ceases. And the sharpening is discontinued. And we will become dull, right? And so we ought to be able to give ourselves to holding each other accountable. That's part of the making the sparks fly, but coming together nonetheless. And fellowshipping and growing, progressing in the Lord and knowing a joy in our faith. That's what we have before us. And Paul was holding them accountable to what they should be doing. I've learned that it's easy to run and it's difficult to remain. But we are more blessed when we remain and so is everyone else. God calls us to stand firm with courage, not frightened in anything by our opponents. And there are plenty. Opponents include our heart, our very heart. Our heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Our thoughts, they can get away from us. That's why in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we know that if we submit our the thoughts and everything, our prayers to the Lord. In Christ, he will give us that peace which surpasses all understanding. He will guard our hearts and our minds in him. Because our hearts can get away. Our, our thoughts can get away. The flesh is our opponent. The world is, is at our throats. And obviously the devil is. Paul was living for Christ with boldness, with courage in Christ, and for the sake of the gospel and God's glory. And he desired that the church do the same. God desires that the church do the same. He did not see his imprisonment again as God's punishment. We should never see the circumstances that we find ourselves. If we know that 
we we don't know of anything that we haven't confessed to the Lord that we haven't asked for His forgiveness about. You know, when we find ourselves in a different difference, a difficult situation, we should think, okay, Lord, let me reflect Your character in this situation. Let me glorify You in and through this, that You may receive the glory, regardless of what I'm faced with. Because the Apostle Paul saw his situation as something God was using for the furtherance of the gospel. Sometimes we're in unique situations when we find ourselves in overwhelming circumstances. Those are unique situations that God affords to you to further the gospel. It gives you access to people you would not otherwise have in a platform upon which you can declare that God is good and his son saves. Paul had told them that it had been granted for them to believe and suffer for his sake, that is, the Lord's sake, and it was for his glory, and therefore they were to handle it in the same way that he was handling these trials. However, does everyone see suffering the same way? And the answer, of course, is no. Not everyone can be entrusted with suffering because not everyone will respond in a way that is fitting as a citizen of heaven. But we ought to. Again, that's why we should be patient toward one another and continue in God's word, growing in maturity, and therefore handle the same circumstance in a different way a year from now. Oh, we're confronted with the same situation. I'm not dealing with it the same way as I did a year earlier. I've grown in the Lord, and, and I know what he has in store. I know how I ought to respond today. And in verse 30, as we're coming to a close, the Apostle Paul says, um, you know, having also suffered for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So what Paul is referring to is that word for conflict is agony agony basically for us don't shy away from but face the agonies of life as a christian with a heavenly attitude that you may endure trials and remain steadfast in your faith for the glory of god god is with you he says he'll never leave you he'll he'll never forsake you you're not doing that alone continue to go back to god's word gain an understanding Know how to handle these situations again. It's to God's glory, but let me tell you, it's to your benefit. It's to our benefit. To live as citizens of heaven, we are to live with a heavenly attitude, a heavenly perspective, and filled with the Holy Spirit, with hope, and to know that for the Christian, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But live now we must, and live right we must, and live progressing and with joy in our faith until the day we go home, we ought to and we must as Christians. And I pray that today, this morning, you, you truly can say those words with great confidence, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Can you? And I hope that if you don't, that today would be the day of salvation, that you would come to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and just cry out to him, believing in the Son of God and asking him to be your Lord and Savior. Truly, if that's a genuine cry, if that's a genuine desire, and you turn your life over to him, he'll give you a new heart, he'll give you a new life, and he'll give you the hope of heaven. I pray that that's the case with you this morning.
And for the church, I say stand courageously. Let's stand shoulder to shoulder with each other, with those around you. Be of one spirit and one mind for the furtherance of the gospel, both in your lives and in the lives of others. And it's for the glory of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these words that you've given to us out of the pages of Scripture. Father, Lord, they are encouraging because we are all faced with tough circumstances. Thank you for your wisdom. And I ask, Lord, that, Lord, you would not only only bring us to that place of knowing salvation, but we would know how to live these lives to your glory with a perspective and a position of being heavenly-minded, of having our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, in allowing you to strengthen us and to lead us in a manner worthy of reflecting that we are citizens of heaven. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.